This is John Haltzman, and welcome to a special weekend edition of our coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is part five, Weeks Where Decades Happen. And this quote comes from Lenin, the infamous revolutionary, who said correctly, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. And we're living through weeks where decades happen. All the more reason to be with you with world-class political risk up to the minute. And two major events have happened over the last day, which has stopped me getting ready for my dinner out in Italy. Things are finally returning to normal, and I'm going to have a proper evening out with Sarah. But before that, I had to bring you up to speed with two major events that have happened. I didn't think it could wait till Monday. Russia has given its strongest indication yet that it will scale back its military ambitions in Ukraine to focus on fighting for control of the eastern two provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk, the Donbass, rather than taking on the whole country at once. Uh, word came from Moscow, as they said, the main goal is the liberation of the Donbass. Uh, Russian forces no longer have full control of Kherson, which was the first major city they managed to take in the south. This is already gone. Sergei Rudskoy, head of the Russian general staff's main operational uh, directorate said at the start of the invasion there were two options as ways forward. One would be to control the whole of Ukraine, and the second to confine itself, the Russian military, to an attack on the Donbass. The military, it said, without commenting on why, has opted for the latter, according to Rudskoy. He said at present, Russian backed separatists control 93% of Luhansk and 54% of Donetsk. So most of Luhansk and about half of Donetsk, and they're going to focus on the eastern part of the country, in essence making a strategic withdrawal and adding in about 7,000 more troops to try to control the Donbass region. Um, this is a change. There is absolutely no doubt this is a scaling back on what President Putin called for just weeks ago. The whole invasion's only been a month, but again, it's weeks where decades have happened. And look what's happened since he assumed that he would easily take control of Ukraine. He said the goal is the decapitation of the Zelensky government, the installation of a pro-Putin government, the standing up of a puppet, and the creation, as we've said before, of czarist strategic depth. But all that's been lost along the way because of three major mistakes. One, the original Russian plan was far too Byzantine. It was a three-pronged assault. The new plan, which will concentrate merely on the Donbass, is much simpler, easier to execute. And most of the major Russian forces, the highest level Russian forces, are in Luhansk and Donetsk. So this is easier to facilitate a one-pronged rather than a three-pronged assault. The three-pronged assault got them into trouble. Secondly, Putin didn't think Ukraine was a country. This has been disproven by Zelensky's Churchill Act, where he's gone from 25% in the polls up to 90 um, And nobody expected the West to hang together the way it has. It's been a remarkable flowering and renaissance of the West. Putin's managed to create a Ukrainian nationality, revive NATO, revive the EU, wake Germany from its strategic slumber, and have significant sanctions put in place on $300 billion in his reserves and another $100 billion on his efforts to, sell, to sell, sell gold, leaving him only with $300 billion in reserves, and he's managed to do this magically all in a month. It's one of the great acts of political risk disaster that you can think of. And so he's changing tactics, and there's absolutely no doubt 
that this is occurring and occurring now. And the question now is, is this just putting things back together in a different way to take over the whole of the country? Or is this a significant scaling down of the military operation? It could be either. It could be saying, look, we bit off more than we can chew. Let's regroup and take the Donbass region, which is Russian speaking, and theoretically is going to be more favorably disposed to us. We already control the lion's share of Luhansk and half of Donetsk. And so this is a achievable goal in the near future with our best troops withdrawing to the region and adding in 7,000 new troops. And once we've taken the Donbass, we can either then take our winnings off the table. This is enough that I can Putin can survive and say he's done this. Or he can say and then negotiate with the rest of the world over what goes on or from that platform can think about reinvading the country. We simply don't know at the moment which it is. But at the moment, it is a scaling back, an admission, a tacit admission, but an admission nonetheless that the initial strategy has failed for the big three reasons I said. Too complicated a plan, not recognizing Ukraine as a genuine nation that Zelensky manages to unify against Russia and not imagining that the West would do much of anything when indeed it's it's not only given every bit of wherewithal it could to the Ukrainians to defend itself, but put significant sanctions, unheard of sanctions, onto the Russians. And so for all these reasons, having bitten off more than he could chew, he's going back to the Donbass, withdrawing in terms of de-escalating. Not that the war is over in any way, but rather than taking on the whole country, focusing on the Donbass, and then deciding, I suppose, depending on how that goes, as to whether he wants to try to take on the whole country or merely take that little bite off that he manages. And that, frankly, already the Russians have been in pretty good possession of. Obviously, this is a gigantic event forward. Biden, um, who's in Poland at the moment at the end of his meetings with NATO, the G7 and the EU, has gone to Poland, where he's met with the defense and foreign ministers of Ukraine, and has managed to say that he's actually going to give the Ukrainians more weapons, signaling back instead that the West is not going to let up and say, well, it's okay that you just take these two eastern provinces, but say it's not okay. And so the Russians are going to be confronted by a quickly rearmed Ukraine. And this is what happens when they're stalemate traditionally. Both sides then struggle to get more allies on board and struggle to rearm as quickly as they possibly can. And that's what's going on now. And so the United States and the West show no signs of backing down and are going to continue to arm the Ukrainians to defend themselves with Javelin anti-tank weapons, anti-air weaponry, um, and then wherewithal on the ground. And this will continue. And the sanctions certainly will continue. Um, and so Putin is changing the terms. Everything is changing. The overall initial knockout blow, the blitzkrieg, as we've said before. And again, remember, we call the war right, unlike so many of my competitors. Uh, it's important to remember who gets what right and who gets what wrong, because uh, in the end, the work is what matters. The analysis is what matters. And we've gotten this right. Uh, the czarist effort to stand up a puppet and create strategic depth has failed. Uh, the question remains, will Putin settle for these lesser goals? Will this be enough? And then will he further de-escalate? Or is this merely a launching pad from having taken these more limited goals in a one-pronged assault to then move on from there? And the answer is, we simply don't know. And in fact, Putin probably doesn't know. It depends on how things go. As we've said about Bismarck, when you draw the sword, you roll the dice. So this is the first amazingly important event that happened that made me give up 
getting ready for my dinner tonight, which I'm very much looking forward to. The second event, which is also important, is the stunning announcement that Germany plans to stop buying Russian oil um, by in, in its entirety by the end of the year. You heard me right. Germany is going to stop buying Russian oil in its entirety by the end of the year and plans to cut its gas imports by about 90% over the next two years. This is moving very, very fast. Uh, it would normally take three to five years to make this change out of the brain-dead miracle policy that Germany, in effect, castrated itself, made itself neutral by being energy-wise dependent upon the Russians and trade-wise dependent upon the Chinese. Moving with great speed, words you don't put together with a German government, the new Schultz government says that by the end of the year, it will be done with buying Russian oil, and that within two years, nothing really at all, a blink of an eye, over 90% done with Russian natural gas. Um, at the moment, and this is vital, at the moment, the EU has paid Russian state-owned companies, such as Gazprom and Rosneft, more than, more than 19 billion euro for oil and gas, 19 billion since the start of the war, which funds Putin's war machine. And they realize this, and under great pressure, the Germans accept the argument of the United States and the rest of their allies that this can continue and has to come to an end, and incredibly quickly. To give you a base idea, in 2021, Germany relied on Russia for 55% of its gas, 50% of its coal, and 35% of its oil. That's certainly being in the pocket of the Russians. And this is even before Nord Stream 2 was on the line, where Merkel was suicidally going to make Germany about 70% dependent on Russian natural gas, meaning entirely dependent. Going from this to no buying of oil by the end of the year is seismic, is a gigantic change. Again, this is where in weeks where decades happen, for 20 years, I've been begging the Germans to have an energy diversification so they could have strategic diversification. And now by the end of the year, they're ready to move on this. Over the last week, the Germans have cut new gas deals with the Dutch and the Norwegians. Again, the Germans forgot the cardinal rule of energy supply, which is security of supply matters. During the age of globalization over the last 20 years, we've utterly forgotten it's, it's what's cheapest that matters, as though political risk didn't matter at all, as though security of supply didn't matter at all, and the Ukraine war has woken the Germans up from an almighty nap at just the right moment, and suddenly you want to get gas from the Dutch and the Norwegians and not the Russians. Uh, by the end of this month, over the past week, Germany has signed these deals with the Dutch and the Norwegians, but also long-term contracts to inquire to acquire li liquefied natural gas from Qatar and Israel. Qatar is the swing producer of natural gas as a pro-Western Middle Eastern state with very low levels of political risk. Israel, strong Western ally, low levels of political risk. The Dutch and the Norwegians, other than the odd moose accident and skiing accident in Norway or flooding in Holland, I'm joking, no political risk. And now just today, they've added the U.S. to the mix, that the U.S. has agreed to supply the EU with an extra 50 billion in cubic meters a year, which is one third of the Russian imports, and to do this over the course of a decade. So one third of in the EU, what the Russians would have taken up, the United States has agreed to cover. Along with Qatar and Israel, with Germany and Dutch and the Norwegians, you see a vast and quick revolutionary, to quote Lenin, diversification of supply in the blink of an eye. The EU plans to curb its imports of Russian gas by two-thirds by the end of this year. 
and to eliminate it totally in 2030. Governments creak on slowly, but suddenly in a blink of the eye, things are happening. So while the Russians move back from their maximalist goals in Ukraine to concentrate on the Donbass, the two Russian-speaking provinces that they already largely control of Luhansk, 90% controlled, and Donetsk, about 50% controlled, they are going to retreat to this area and focus on this, put 7,000 new troops in, but admit tacitly that the Blitzkrieg has failed and they've bitten off more they can chew in the Ukraine. Whether this is a drawdown in general or merely a launching pad for a further escalation, we have to see. But my money would be that this is a drawdown. That The caution that Putin has exhibited over the last 20 years has reasserted itself when he sees the colossal mistakes he's made. And at the same exact time this is happening, his leverage over Western Europe is about to disappear as the Germans take on board Dutch natural gas, Norwegian natural gas, Qatari natural gas, Israeli natural gas, and U.S. LNG by building offshore terminals. The EU itself will no longer be fully dependent, as it is two-thirds of the gas will be done away with immediately, and the EU will have a real energy policy, which many of us have begged on them for a long time now, and they will have one almost immediately, that within two years, a blink of an eye, what I've begged for for 20 will be done. As Lenin indeed said, there are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. This is a week where decades happened. And I wanted to bring you up to speed on what's going on and to show you that yet again, we have called this precisely right. Energy is the jugular for Western Europe. It is being dealt with. The Ukrainians are fighting amazingly well, which we called when others didn't see that possible. And the war itself is going very badly. But the outcome, the aftermath of the war, the political risk consequences of the war have birthed a new era that we're going to live in. Indeed, these are weeks where decades have happened. If you've enjoyed this, please do subscribe and please do give the $70 a year we're asking so we continue to do things like this weekend podcast out of nothing because history changes when it changes. And I think you want things as up to date as you can. Thanks very much. And now I'm off to my dinner.